Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, thank you for joining us today. I'm so excited for my next guest. He has been a member of the U.S. Border Patrol for the last 20 years, stationed on the Mexican border and the Canadian border. We go in depth with a boots-on-the-ground perspective of the things he has seen and done and heard, and it's quite eye-opening. Sit back and enjoy. With me today, Agent JP. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. All right, you, as everyone knows already, uh, you have been with the the U.S. Border Patrol for 20 plus years now, right? That is correct. Actually, uh, it'll be 20, oh, almost 20 here in a month or so. Wow, you're a youngin. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so looking back when you started that career, why did you, what was the appeal there? Uh, to be honest, um, I had zero appeal to it. Uh, it started out, uh, I was working in Southern California, had a great job, and uh, I had a great job, and I had a friend who was in the Border Patrol. This friend was talking to me and telling me all these wonderful things about the job, and I thought, eh, I kept telling him, no, I don't want it. Uh, what's funny is wife and I kept driving by uh, checkpoints and uh, she'd be like, oh, look, they're hiring. Oh, look, they're hiring. I'm like, eh, it ain't my thing. I, I wanted nothing to do with law enforcement, um, wanted nothing to do with anything like that. And then my buddy was like, you know what? Just put in. I'm like, why? I've got, uh, I've got a great job. I was making great money. He's like, just put in. That's actually a great, great selling point. You're just coming in to see what they have to offer. What were you doing? So, uh, I was working for Sony and uh, we were making really good money at the time working for Sony and uh, was one of their supervisors. And it was, you know, a grind, but it was still pretty good money. And I felt secure and, you know, there was no ups or downs or anything. It was a nice steady paycheck. So who I put in, that? who wants all that security? Come on. Exactly. I had a 401k. I had uh, great pay, awesome health benefits, Golden all these. Yeah. Every, everything a young family man could want. And uh, we put in, I put in my application. I'm like, oh, cool. They're, they're accepting me. Took the tests, flew right through those. I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, started doing the interview process. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I was looking at things going, this could really pan out. This could be actually a pretty good career. And I still don't want much to do with law enforcement because I've always heard the horror stories. I think we all have heard the horror stories of uh, cops going into domestic violence uh, situations and 
having to deal with the dregs of humanity so much. It's a, it's a hard life, law enforcement. Um, so I put in and pretty soon I was like, okay, this is cool. And uh, I got in and I thought, awesome. Uh, I got in and, you know, 20 years ago, something pretty significant happened with 9-11. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was kind of a big deal. Just a small, just a small deal. You know, I don't know. Um, and that actually completely changed my perspective on what I was doing. I, I kind of really bought into the fact that, you know what, Border Patrol is kind of the first line of defense for our nation's country. Uh, we're right there on the border and, you know, yeah, most of the guys that came in, um, they were through visa programs, so they wouldn't have been touched by the border patrol. It would never have been found by the border patrol, but there's other incidences where there was a, there was a person that was found on one of the ferries coming in, uh, into Washington state who was really attempting to do serious harm he was he had it all planned out to do some bombings uh and some t terrorism here in the united states and what's now known as cbp or customs and border protection they found him and stopped him and it was kind of it was a bit eye-opening at the time we just all of a sudden i was like you know everyone full of patriotism Everyone wanted to do all these wonderful things. And uh, so it was kind of from that point on, I would say I was all in, all in uh, with the mission that we were supposed to do and stuff like that. I'm sensing that that may have changed your life or the, <sighs> at least your, your reason for being there. So at first it was money. Uh, my very first why was money and uh, security. Um, then the why changed. Um, in the academy and stuff like that, I was actually making less money. My first year, I was making less money doing Border Patrol than I was at Sony. Uh, it was a little shocking, but I suddenly found fun doing it. Uh, this may sound a little base, but there's nothing more incredible than being out in the wild, pretty much. You're on your own out there and you're hunting people per se. I mean, that what a border patrol agent does is he is in the desert or in the mountains or wherever it is along the border and cruising along and all of a sudden this is typical you're cruising along and you see footprints in the ground and you're like oh okay now you then start following these footprints you i'm able to look at a set of footprints in the ground and say okay these people crossed it's this many there's you know five people, there's 15, there's 20, there's even 50 plus in this group. Um, 
crossed here and I could look at it and say, okay, that's about an hour ago. Um, and it's just a, a tracking, we're able to track and hunt that way. I use hunt because I don't know a better word to use for the public, but we're able to kind of look but at that and say, okay. A, you could call mm -hmm. it a uh, intense search. Yeah, well, we Border Patrol agents, we, we, the term we use is called sign cutting and sign cutting. Okay. Uh, we use it, we say sign cutting, you know, I was, I was along this road and I was doing sign cutting and all of a sudden I saw, saw traffic here. I saw footprints here and, you know, there's other things that'll help us. Certain routes are utilized almost always doesn't matter you know in my 20 years there's some variance but generally speaking they've always used the same routes and so we have things that are in the ground for ground sensors they feel the uh, seismic sensors uh, there's infrared where you know if they pass through a certain canyon boom they cross that infrared thing there's also now game cameras and stuff like that and of course we have we have sta static cameras which are up in high points and they're able to view certain areas where and where did your hmm? all your in all your 20 years where have you been stationed because oh gosh we forget we think about the border we think only the southern border but we have that 3,000 mile border with canada yeah so um I have worked all over. It, it, it has been a joy for me. I've worked in mountains of San Diego. I've worked the deserts of um, the El Centro, Yuma, um, Indio, all that, you know, that basin corridor of, of California that's on the east side. Uh, I've worked Arizona. I've worked Texas. Um, and I've had a couple of times, and I'm currently in the northern border, but uh, I've had a couple of times in Washington, and uh, that it, it's all been a complete different experience for each location. Uh, you you work differently for each terrain, and each um, each area has its own little dichotomy to it. What, um, in terms of like the, the volume of people trying to come in, I assume that's different at every, at every, every place as well. definitely so real every, every location has its own, we call it traffic pattern. Um, you know, when you're working the southern border, you're pretty much just looking south and things are coming north. When you're working the northern border, you actually have uh, illegal traffic going north and south. It's kind of interesting. Um, there's illegal guns going north. There's uh, money going north. Now, also on the southern border, there is money going south, but that's mostly in vehicles. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been involved in some of those operations on both uh, and during my 20 years, I've done pretty much, pretty much everything.
haven't haven't been on the horse patrol yet but that's you know that's all right but everything else i've i've done when we see you know media reports about you know the quote unquote crisis on the border mm -hmm. is it accurate what we're seeing on i don't care what media source you use is it yeah from what you've seen are they telling the truth uh it's hard to get the truth right now in my viewpoint from what i see um happening on the southern border there is a crisis happening it's um it's crazy um uh, and it, it's not i would say it's not uh not being reported enough i would say there's stuff happening on the southern border that would shock people if they knew what was happening and i'm not saying the care of the people i'm saying the volume and what's happening is kind of crazy you know back when i first started it was kind of interesting because it was a voluntary return type thing we would rarely prosecute and what that is is prosecute them we detain them we'd arrest them detain them for a while set them up for a deportation if they're going to be prosecuted and then send them back and then you have crim hard criminal charges and we would mostly do a voluntary return which is pretty much okay we would catch whoever we would then do a quick little fingerprint search and at the time all we would search is the index fingers and put them into the system they'd sign a paper we'd send them across the border and we would see them again in you know a few hours <laughs> it was it was just a constant okay catch release catch you know, not catch and release but catch remove them catch them again a few hours later now the difference is we're having the same volume that we had 20 years ago but a large percentage of them are coming in claiming asylum of some sort and you know for me whether i'm i don't make any of that determination whether their asylum is valid or not uh i'll be honest i see a lot of silly uh silly claims that i feel don't fit the criteria but that's not my job to determine uh and we would catch them bring them in process them we would do a full case on them and then we would parole them into the united states so we're seeing the same volume that we saw 20 years ago but they're not the constant repeat customers that we saw back in 20 years ago uh you know before it was just this constant flow of people that were catching all the time now it's a constant flow of the same number but they're being brought into the united states and then you know eventually they'll have their asylum hearing and so it's it is completely overwhelming the system right now compared to before so but you said it's the same 
it's the same volume as 20 years correct. ago. Correct. Correct. It's it's very close to the same volume. Okay. And that is meaning the, is it just the sheer numbers that, that yeah, like that is, like is, all what's what's the crisis? Is it just the volume and overall? I would say I would say the crisis is the volume, is the volume of people coming into the United States. So because of that, we don't have we don't have the manpower. We don't have an ability to stem the flow. And it's not just asylum seekers. One of the biggest problems that we have right now is, so a group of 50 comes across the border and they'll pretty much try to find a border patrol agent to stop them. They'll you know, be in a huge group and now that takes the manpower away from every other area. And then, so now we have all of our manpower focused on these 50 people because we can't just have one or two guys uh, with 50 people. If they, if anyone in that group decides to- Well, it's, it's a dangerous situation. You're out. Exactly, if anyone tries to do a little harm uh, it's going to get really scary. It's going to be a bad situation. So now we have all of our agents, instead of securing the rest of the border, now we have these guys that we're apprehending, and that's wide open. And the cartels and the smugglers, they know this. So they kind of work in tandem with these groups. So what they're doing is they're working with these groups they're saying okay you're going to pay us a little bit of money we'll make it safe so you can cross the border here and then what they do is they then the cartels and smugglers then say okay border patrol is busy over here now they're high dollar whether it be drugs whether it be guns whether it be um, people who do not want to be caught at all and we're talking criminal aliens uh, it could be anybody, really. Now, they get a, almost a free pass to run across the border, hop into a vehicle, and they're gone. Because the, the first group is almost a decoy or a distraction. 100%. It, it's a very common tactic. It, it has been a very common tactic for years to distract us with one and then send another. And I, I've dealt with it many times where... You know, I've been on an ATV unit where we'll have these guys here. And then, you know, while they're doing that, I'll be by myself on an ATV running along. And then all of a sudden there's another group of 10 people that are really trying hard to get away. And so it, me, me and 10 people dealing with the situation. 10, 10 people who are illegally in the United States. Do you feel like you're making a, a, a difference or is it, do you just feel like you're just peeing up the river, I guess? Oh. And I don't know what, what a different difference looks like. To, to be honest, uh, there's times when I feel like it is not making a difference. And then there's times when 
I, I, I walk away going, you know what? I did my job well. Um, it is hard at times, especially right now. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm stationed Northern border. Um, and so most of my job should be focused on securing things up here. And, but, uh, Currently, with the manpower issues, with the flow of people, we are being sent to the southern border. Uh, for a little bit there, it was 30 days down south, 30 days home, 30 days down south, 30 home. Now it's 30 days down south and 60 at home. So, but so I don't really get to do much of my work here where I'm stationed. And when I go south, uh, it's not much, I'm not really doing much quote unquote border patrol work. I'm doing really simple case processing, processing and very simple babysitting jobs. Like I've, I've had to sit in a tent with young kids who are being sent across all by themselves uh, and uh, kind of watch over, babysit them, literally babysit them for my shift. So in, in a case like that, when they're just kids, that's, I just think as a parent, you know, telling your kid, go have a nice hike. And, and hope yeah. that's, how do you, have you been able to talk to these kids or these people and, and, and get their, what are they thinking? A little bit. Why, I guess maybe I'm, this is a question to back up is like, when you talk to these people, what is the main reason they're coming? Does it suck so bad where they're coming from that this like Southern California desert is a better option? So it, it floors me. Um, so I'm a parent, uh, you know, I'm a parent first and foremost, you know, job be damned. I don't, I don't care about any of that. I'm a parent first and foremost. I'm a husband. Uh, so when I see uh, kids and I've been there literally on the fence and see a kid uh, being lowered and the smugglers then run away and all the kid has is on their arm and mark, you uh, the marky sharpie marks the sharpie marker on their arm is a phone number and the kid is terrified and i try to talk to the kid he has no idea what's going on he's just so we call the phone number so a lot of times what happens is is the kids get dropped off the parents they're part of that first group that I, or that kind of that group that I talked about before where the distraction happens and a group runs. So the parents are in the United States, sometimes one of them, or the parents are on the Southern side waiting for that kid to get their documentation that they were processed. And now they can come across and they can then utilize that child as a way to be in the United States waiting for a hearing. Uh, it's hard. That, that's, I'll be honest, that's 
one of the worst things I see is how parents can just put their kid through that. And I try to talk to them about it. And at times, yes, there is a valid, 100% valid reason for them to escape their country. Uh, there's times when there is a 100% valid reason for them to put themselves and horribly their family through these hard times. Other times, it just shocks me. You know, I ask them, what, what's the reason for coming across? Why, why did they leave their country? Well, there's no work. And to me as a dad, no, there's, <laughs> there's work. I, I will, uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I have a secure job but if I didn't, I would work my ass off to make, to make my family safe and secure. I would, knowing the horrors that happen on the border, uh, you know, especially in Mexico, uh, I'm privy to some eye-opening information. And it's, I would never put my, my wife my kids through any of that stuff there's no way you know if it was just for work you know if it was if I was living in you know one of these places like Venezuela or uh, Cuba. if I was Cuba you know that would I, I could understand that and you know th those people that have true oppression you know, I, I literally open arms. I'm 100% open arms. I understand. And when I'm processing them for a case, uh, I'm talking to them about it. And I go, you know what? Hey, you know, I could sit there and see them talking and they have a little tear in their eye or they're terrified of what's going on. And I go, stop. I, t I literally tell them, stop. Don't worry. You have a 100% valid case to seek asylum. Wonderful. You know, let's, this is your step to obtaining that freedom that you've been trying so hard to obtain. Let's, let's get this done. And that's kind of, that right there is kind of a great thing to see is these people who are desperately seeking the freedom, you know, it bothers me sometimes how they do it, but you know, that's not my job to decide. Yeah. No, I don't know if I, I remember when we all lived in the Palm Springs area and people mm -hmm. were their lives to get to communities like Mecca, which aren't the greatest <laughs> on the planet, but they're risking their lives to get there. I, I can only imagine how awful it must be where they're coming from. Exactly. Exactly. You know, our, our, uh, our worst cities here in the United States uh, are a shining beacon. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it's a shine. Our worst cities are a shining beacon of hope for these people, uh, and it's it, it's eye opening at times. So, what what do you? And one of the questions we have a list of questions. So. Hey, we're going to go through most of them, or at least hopefully all of them.
one of them was if you were to wave your magic wand, how would you solve? I mean, trying to, I guess if Mexico was better, they wouldn't want to leave it. Correct. That's pretty over, that's oversimplifying something that I'm sure is very complicated. Yeah. How would I fix this? If I, so leaving, uh, leaving out the magic wand and fixing the countries that they're coming from, leaving out uh, a magic wand and fixing Mexico and the corruption or the other countries and their corruption. How would I fix the United States pro problems? Let me and back, fix back up for a minute. Uh -huh. What's that? Like, primary, like percentage wise, where are most of the people coming from? Oh, honestly, that depends on what area you're in. Uh, so I was recently down in Arizona, Yuma area. We were getting a ton of Brazilians, a uh, ton of Cubans, Haitians, and uh, some from El Salvador. Um, and when you go to different areas, like soon I'll be going to uh, Texas. Actually, in about a week or so, I'll be going to Texas. And that gets a totally different group of people. There's, it all depends on their route of travel. Um, heck, I've, I've had people from, uh, from Poland on the southern border, tons of people from uh, Eastern European countries. Um, and you name it. I've arrested it. You name the nationality I have, I've arrested it in my 20 years. And it's been, it's been interesting. But currently there's a lot of people coming from Brazil and yes, Brazil is, it's not as great in my personal opinion. It's not as great as the United States. Uh, it doesn't have uh, the economic powerhouse that we have. It doesn't have the freedoms that we have. Uh, but it's still, I don't see it as being uh, the place to flee as much. But we're seeing tons and tons of Brazilians, which shocks me. Uh, we're seeing uh, these people who you know, they risk everything, but yet they're still coming. <laughs> so it's crazy. Now what I, I jumped on something and I was going to answer something. I don't know what it was, but it was, continue. you know, solving Mexico's problems or, and then I think you lean oh, in. How can America make this process not be so stupid? Um, I, I, I ask, I have uh, my daughter's boyfriend. Mm hmm a DACA recipient. His whole family are, are residents now. He's been here for 22 years. He's 28. And mm -hmm. he's still, still fighting that battle because he wasn't yeah. there. And it's like, that is just so typical of government where nothing happens, nothing changes. It's just the same old crap. And he yeah. is an amazing human being and totally deserves to be here. Yeah. And, and, See, that's, so 
my my main focus is on my job is the enforcement part of it uh, so i don't know a whole lot of the process to get people legally into the united states i'm mostly focused on stopping from stopping those entering illegally but yes there definitely needs to be a better process for those who have a valid claim those who have you know those who have done it the right way um why make it so difficult for them they've done it the right way they've come to the united states with permission they're now trying to get their paperwork done yeah that's there's a huge flaw happening in the procedural part of getting these people their their green card it's a legal permanent resident alien yeah. card uh that permanent residence is is a great thing for people you know it gives them so many so many different things compared to just hey you're paroled in the united states and they're gonna constantly look over their shoulder uh you know i i know a lot of people who are permanent residents pretty much for their entire life and they don't even want to become u.s citizens but that part that procedural part needs to be fixed um one of the things that i kind of lean towards because I am enforcement minded mostly is right now there is truly a flood happening on the southern border where people are just coming in with zero check. Um, if we were to, I, I, I know this might bother some people, but there's three things that are needed. There is a wall that is needed. We do need some kind of physical barrier to stop or at least slow. Mm -hmm. it, it's never meant, it, a wall is never meant to stop people 100%. It is to make it manageable. The second part is manpower. Um, we need more people on the border to help, you know, deal with this. And then the third is infrastructure of sorts with technology and you know, that is, that could be anywhere from cameras to sensors to, you know, there's a whole network that we have uh, of technology on the southern border that's pretty amazing. I've, I've seen some pretty incredible things done with our technology. I, I've sat on a, a mountaintop uh, in, oh, it was, I've sat on the mountaintop of eastern san diego and i'm able to look out on this one camera and i saw a boat crossing into the united states in the ocean and yeah uh, and, you know i called it in I, I was just panning around and i was it was a specialty camera that i worked with uh, dod with and they were using specific technology uh, it was kind of interesting to hey look there's a boat cool called it in so and th that was some maritime smuggling that was happening <laughs> uh what 
you, you mentioned smugglers. What, what are they? Is it just contraband, drugs? What, what what are they smuggling typically that you're finding? So smugglers, the the vast quantity, uh, their biggest dollar is humans, uh, and it's not because they're. It's not the money grab that you would think it is, but it's the fact that they're doing volume. It is a massive volume. So nothing crosses the border. Uh, even these poor uh, people seeking asylum, nothing crosses the border without the cartel sticking their hand into it. And when I say cartel, the, those are the smugglers. Those are the people who pretty much control any kind of activity crossing into the United States illegally. Now at the port, there's a, that's a whole different, uh, different thing, you know, whether it be at the Mexicali port in uh, California, Otay Mesa over in San Diego, um, down in Yuma, El Paso, you know, whatever. Th those are different. I'm talking these people who are just jumping the fence over. Cartel has a hand in it. Now, there is a crud ton of smuggling of drugs going on. I I've seen it. I dealt with it. I was a canine handler for many years. And, uh, you know, just me, myself, and my dog, we we stopped about a little over 10, I want to say $15 million worth of uh, narcotics entering the United States. Um, it was, you know, we made a huge dent in our time that we were together. But, you know, what got past us? That's yeah. the question. <laughs> You know, we, we catch, I would say at best, at best, one in three uh, people crossing the United States, we catch one in three drugs, I would say one in five. And so now the guns, guns, I would say it's not uh, as easy. Most of that's a southbound type thing. We see a lot of there is some kind of going north and south in the Mexico border for guns. But uh, yeah, and like I said before, there's a lot of money. Once it's, once the drugs and the Ill illegal contraband sold here in the United States, it has to go somewhere. So it goes back south to the cartels. Goes back the same way. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they package it up, they hide it in vehicles just like they hide the drugs in vehicles. And uh, it's all sealed up and hidden in compartments or whatever. And then it's back into Mexico. That's literally like movies. Oh, it, it's totally, it, it's amazingly like movies. <laughs> where the movies gets their ideas is what you see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've arrested and uh, apprehended some very high dollar uh, things. And, 
I tried to do a check on several of people that I apprehended and they're no longer around. You know, I, I, you know, like this one guy I apprehended ages ago, uh, he had a very large uh, cocaine load and uh, I, he was killed by the cartel because his load was stopped. He was the fall guy. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of crazy. We just have no idea. No. No, the general public doesn't know a lot of times the craziness that's happening. Good and bad, maybe? I don't know. What's that? Which is good and bad? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people shouldn't know. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in... Uh, uh, there's a, a thing called the sheepdog. I don't know if you know anything about it. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link for this guy. The law enforcement are sheepdogs. Uh, you know, sheep, sheep are great. They're out there. They're wonderful. They're just doing their thing. They're eating grass. They're having fun. They're scared of the sheepdog because he looks like the wolf. He has teeth. He's, he's mean at times. He might yell at the, uh, the sheep to do something, but he's doing it for their protection. He's trying to keep the sheep away from the wolf. Uh, and yet at the same time, that sheepdog will give his life. He'll protect his flock against these wolves. And any sheepdog that may harm a sheep needs to be removed that's not a sheepdog and so that would be equivalent like to an agent taking advantage of of some of these people which 100 percent, 100 percent. there and and unfortunately there are sometimes agents who do remove them from the equation they need to be 100 percent prosecuted they need to be uh there is no way, shape, or form that anyone who harms the sheep, quote unquote, they're, they, they have no point in being in the position that they are. Yeah. And so. Is that a rare occurrence or do you find it a lot? Based on um, so, no. The sheep, the agents around who take advantage and even harm uh, these people who, you know, they're some of the most vulnerable. Uh, the, it does not happen very often. Yes, there are incidences, and rightly so. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk about them because you know, that's a complete aberration. You know, they're, they should be removed 100%, but it doesn't happen as often as people think it does. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it happens, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, with, with, you know, my, my uh, law enforcement, our, our agency, 
we've got approximately 20,000 people. You know, it's a little less right now. I think it's about 18, 17,000. 17,000 people. And if you find a couple who are acting inappropriately, it's horrible. But at the same time, when you take a step back and you look at the numbers, you go, okay, they're doing something pretty good in the fact that they're able to weed out so many and make it so that only that small percentage is, you know, the ones. And if it's even better when they're weeded out. Yeah, of course. Because that's, that's a predatory mentality, which is evil, beyond evil. Yeah. Now, now mind you, there is uh, there is a thing about law enforcement, and I would say law enforcement and I, even the medical profession. We have a bit of the gallows humor, <laughs> you know, where we've seen so much. Uh, we've seen so much bad, and also, you know, we try to try to live our life. We we're a little hard shelled that we do see, we do, you know, we do kind of laugh at things that some people may think is inappropriate, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's a lot of guys who blow off steam just by laughing at the hardest things, just because otherwise they would break. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I understand. You see some, it's got to affect you. Yeah, it does. I would, I would say definitely there's a lot of guys who, um, who it's broken. I've seen a lot of my friends who, you know, they turn to uh, things that don't help them, you know, whether it be drink or, uh, or other vice, you know, nothing. I've only seen one, one guy in my 20 years who has turned towards illegal activity uh you know and he's obviously removed but a lot a lot of guys do kind of try to medicate with alcohol uh, because at times it's it's a hard burden you see the like say you see the the dregs of society and you see the in the inhumanity to other humans yeah that, yeah you're really like even just you know dropping a kid off that's five six years old at the border, just throwing him over the fence. You know that's yep. it, it's hard. It's hard to see, especially you know, a lot of us border patrol agents. We're family men. We're married. We have kids of our own, and it's hard to see things like that. It's really hard. It, you know, with that, we, we smile and we uh, go along with our day and that's okay. Yeah. You have to, otherwise you're ineffective. Yeah. Now I don't want this, I don't want this interview to be a complete downer. So I hope I, I'm not depressing anyone. No, I, I just I, <laughs> to get your perspective because I have practically zero trust on uh, what media will share yeah that's why i wanted your boots on the ground perspective good bad or indifferent nope just a reality check um because we're not and, and yet we will 
you know, both sides of the aisle will just destroy each other for what their perception is of what's really going on. And I don't think they know. I don't think they really know. You know, I, I honestly, and, you know, I have a little bit of an online presence and uh, through social media and stuff like that. And uh, it kind of, it makes me laugh when I see somebody commenting from Georgia or from, you know, from New York or anything like that. They make these broad statements that, you know, it seems like they have zero clue on what's going on. And it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's a very uh, skewed viewpoint at times because they don't have the knowledge of what's all going on. They don't have the knowledge of what's trying to be attempted. You know, all honesty, Border Patrol is trying hard with every effort possible to make uh, this be as humane, yet at the same time trying to uphold the laws and trying to make it as quick as possible, trying to make it the least painful for everyone involved, whether it be the people being arrested or the agents that are involved in arresting it, trying to make it as safe and smooth as possible we're trying but yet you know at times there's a little kink where it fails that's the definition of a rock and hard place quick break we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor hey guys if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain one it's free two there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer three Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. And we're back. We still, I think, want to trust the news. Yeah. And maybe when you and I were kids, you, you could have, but things have changed a lot and agendas are driving things and politics and it's so hard to know. And I am constantly beating this drum that, Hey, uh, you people, there was a, there was a discussion that happened when I posted questions or letting people ask questions about this interview mm -hmm. and you guys just started bashing on each other and I told them both I said maybe you don't have to be snarky assholes to each other because you're both decent guys when you try to understand one another and I had the the opposite reaction I thought one of them was going to go one way and he went the exact opposite way and the other one did the hmm. same one was was sad and one was really surprisingly good I mean you don't have to do that just know that we're all I think if we just had if that was our base argument, just knowing that hey, we all might be we all might be being lied to. Yeah, just come from that point, and then we don't have to try to kill each other. Yeah, and, and to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, there is a definite middle ground, and there is 
there is some smoke being blown on the right. There is some smoke being blown on the right or left. Both parties, they're saying something, but they are most definitely skewing it to make their side look better. And, you know, it's, there's definitely uh, a lot of, I wouldn't say false information. I wouldn't say false, but I would say skewed. You know, it's, there's definitely some skewing going on just to, you know, get people going one way or another. Well, it's sexy, sexier. Yeah. Oh, the, the bigger the hype or the more fervor it, it creates, the better, the more clicks they get. And, you know, the oppressor and the oppressed, that makes for a good story. It's always a good, sexy story. Yep. Yep. So I, I uh, and we don't have to answer all these, but we, we can, we can touch on some of the questions that I had people submit. So we'll, we'll just kind of randomly do it or go down the list. Do you have that in front of you or do you want me to just read them? Well, uh, before I do that, I wanted to kind of, I, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the joy of it, the fun, the hype, the, my job, how I really get excited sometimes working. So you, you were a smoke jumper before, right? It was a hot shot. Hot shot. Okay. So you were a hot shot. Do you remember? What that means. A hot shot is just mm -hmm. a firefighter with a little more intense training. That's what it means. Okay. So you weren't quite the smoke jumper going behind lines. You hiked everywhere. You hiked everywhere. Okay. So you remember the feeling of going to a fire and being like, oh, this is going to be cool. This is really fun. And the adrenaline starts kicking up. So now as an agent, we're kind of adrenaline junkies in that regard. When we're hiking or driving in, in a vehicle or uh, whatever, and we see footprints, that's kind of like you guys looking up and going, oh, ooh, here, comes, here comes something. And you don't know exactly when you're working your fire, you don't know exactly what you're gonna come up to at the time. You kind of have an idea but you're not sure what's going to happen. Yeah. The same with us. We sit there and we'll be going along. And, you know, like one of my most memorables is I'm going along and I see a bunch of footprints in the sand and I couldn't tell exactly how many it was. And so I look in, I'm like, all right, all right, here we go. And I'm literally by myself in the desert and I just start running after it and I'm going along and it gets to a pinch point in this one little canyon and I jump down and I there's a group of 20 people right there all by myself and it's that kind of thing that adrenaline it's you don't know what you're getting into and all of a sudden all right, here's one agent and 20 people. And, you know, it's not, I, I, it's not machismo. It's just, you just kind of go, okay, cool. I caught him. It's the hunt. 
it's chasing after them. You know, I literally spent probably four hours hiking through the desert, just going as fast as I can to hopefully catch up to these people. And all of a sudden I drop into this canyon and boom, there they are. They were, they were tired, they were waiting. And, uh, it, you know, you have to do what you do. You kind of make sure everything's safe and secure. And about 15 minutes later, I got some backup on me. And so I was able to bring them all in. So it was, that, that's kind of the stuff what I, what I was talking about, where it's really fun. It's, uh, it, you don't know what you're getting into as you start treepsing after people. And so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll do fire all day long. I don't want to do what you do. That's that's scary to me because I don't know what you're fire isn't not, it's... fire isn't throwing things at you or possibly shooting at you or trying to kill you, possibly. Well, that's when you just gotta understand and know your your limitations and your abilities. And uh, you know, things like that, you know. You have to know that you are the baddest person around. So like with that group, there was, there was a few people who were kind of popping off and you can kind of, after a few years, you can know who's going to be the problem in the group. And uh, you know exactly who's going to be the problem in the group and they start whispering to each other hey you know you catch a little word here and there like run or you just kind of hear something and you're like okay time to take charge of the situation and uh you sit them all down immediately and remove your shoes <laughs> remove your shoes they're not going to want to run in the hot desert or where there's cactus everywhere without shoes on um and if they keep start popping off, you grab one of one of the guys that's kind of being a little mouthy by the scruff of the neck and you drag them along, set them down away from everyone else. And uh, you tell them, hey, you know what? If, if you guys run, it's his fault if anything happens to you. You know, I will make it so you do not want to run. And whether that be using force to tackle somebody uh if someone takes a swing at you you have to take a swing back whatever but you you let them all know hey if something happens to you it's not my fault it's his fault for riling you up to getting you in trouble and then all of a sudden they understand and this group of 20 starts looking at them and they're like hmm okay and at that time i did have some people look at that guy and they told them, told them, Hey, shut up right now. <laughs> Just shut up. Turn them on themselves. Exactly. You, you make sure that you control that situation so that you're safe. My main goal is to go home. Yeah. Uh, I don't care. I don't care how many drugs I catch. I don't care how many illegals I catch. I don't care about anything in the entire world. My, my job is to go home. And so you know, there's there's people here that rely on me a lot more than the federal government. And so, okay, let's go through some questions. All right. So let's do, this one says, what 
justification was given for harming children by taking them away from their parents when their parents legally apply for asylum, i.e. Trump's no tolerance policy. Oh, and let me, let me back up. Yeah. Do you notice or have you noticed a difference depending on who's in the White House with what you do and what your rules are or rules of engagement or your job description or whatever regulations you have to follow? Did it change? 100%. Things have changed, so we'll get we'll get to that. Uh, so uh, we'll get to number ten in just a second. Let me first do that uh, change. Okay, uh, let's let's do most recent changes uh, first. So under current administration, things have changed drastically. Um, here in the northern border, uh, what we would do a lot of times is targeted enforcement. What that means is we'll be going along and after being in uh, Border Patrol for 20 years, I could look and I can say, I could look and say, oh, that person's from a different country. I can say, you know, whether, whether it be from Eastern Europe whether it be from Asia, whether it be from a South American, Central American country, I can honestly say, looking at their mannerisms, their dress, how they interact with other people, I can honestly tell, okay, they're from another country. Not that they're here, here illegally, but just that they're from another country. And that's our job is to determine alienage. So I'll sit there and look at a person here on the northern border, go, okay, he's from another country. Kind of do a little background check, whether it be a vehicle registration, whatever, find their name. Okay, they match the name. That's his picture. That's who I saw. Do a little check through the computer systems. Okay, here, he is here in the United States illegally. Let's set up a time. He's, he's here illegally. He has deportations, whatever. Um, let's try to apprehend him and remove him. That's targeted enforcement. Pretty much a week or two after the Biden administration took office, that was removed from us. We can't do that. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter <laughs> what's going on. We cannot remove that person. We can't, uh, do our job here in the Northern border. We can, we can drive to the border, the Canadian border and, uh, catch people who are entering the United States that way. Sure. But if someone is here illegally, they have a criminal record and stuff like that, you know, these are people that we want to have removed from the United States because they are criminal aliens. We can't touch them. So it is a little disheartening. There is a little change there. Um, now jumping back to... Um, previous administration. Uh, at that time, I worked San Diego. It was kind of interesting because... Who was in office at this time? 
uh, Trump. Okay. When, when Trump Trump came into office. Uh, here, actually, I'll even go before that to the Obama administration. With Bush. Huh? So I, I I was in for Bush. And Obama. Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden. Uh, so with Bush, there wasn't a whole lot of restrictions for us. And also I was fairly new in the patrol. I was kind of, um, I, I was mostly just working the Southern border, just playing a little game of Red Rover, uh, you know, just catching every single person I could that was crossing the border. Um, and it was, it, it was an interesting time. Obama gets into office and then uh, there was some restrictions to uh, checking any transportation hubs. They limited our ability to check transportation hubs, meaning Greyhound stations, uh, things like that. You know, that was often a, a way that people would kind of cross into the United States and then they would use Greyhound or other uh, Amtrak, anything like that to further their travel throughout the United States. When Obama came into office, that was kind of, they, they didn't 100% limit that, like say no more, but they put a lot of restrictions on it. Um, and then as soon as Trump came into office, it was kind of funny because our chief of our, our sector, San Diego sector, pretty much said, hey, uh, all right, gentlemen, you want to do your job? Go ahead and do it. If you can legally say why you are in a location and you can legally say why you det uh, detained someone, you're free to go. Whereas before it, there was a lot of hemming and hawing as to whether we could do our job. Uh, upper management, meaning chief or of the sector or legal counsel for the entire patrol, they would try to say, you know, we don't want you to do that right now because it would cause too many waves. And, uh, you know, when one of Trump's main platforms was illegal immigration. He wanted to really enforce the laws where people who are here illegally, they should be arrested. And so, so there has been through the four presidents that I've been through, there's been a little bit of a change here and there. And you see a similar pattern with both parties. Yeah, well, parties seems to be so that you the conservative yeah, what allow you to do your job is that what is that generally generally speaking yes okay. um there's been a little more a little more hesitancy to do our job or allow us to do our job with uh the democrat party but you know they're not going to fully stop us they they understand the need for our, our country to have its own sovereignty. They do understand that. But at the same time, um, 
and I'll be honest, right now, it seems like we don't, there's very little concern about what's going on. And so it's difficult. So now with that, getting to the Trump administration and the change, let's get that question again. Um, Read it again. The justification for giving, what given for justification giving was given for harming children by taking them away from their parents when their parents legally applied for asylum, i.e. Trump's no tolerance policy? Okay. Is that so a, is that question accurate? All right. So sorry, I had to get a drink. Uh, not fully accurate. Not fully accurate. And um, I, I appreciate him for asking that question. That's fine. Uh, not fully accurate because the children were removed from parents and usually it was never removed from both parents if if both parents were present if both parents were present we would not remove the children from both parents um, if one parent was present with the child and that parent had a criminal record then we would set them up for deportation and they would have to be incarcerated they would have to be put into a prison of sorts. Uh, we have a parent or the the parent would be put into a into a detention facility. Okay. And now because of the laws that we have, which stem from Clinton, uh, it's uh, Reno versus Flores, we were not allowed to have the children with the parent while they were being detained for a criminal proceeding. These parents, they have a criminal history, they have criminal history, and now they entered the United States illegally. So there is crim history and an illegal action. Now they're being detained. They're put into a detention facility and according to the laws that are on the books, which were stem from uh, the cases Flores versus Reno, Janet Reno. Uh, it was against the law for these children to be with the children or to be with the parents. If the parent is in like a detention center with other adults, is that? So the parents are with the, in a detention center with the other adults, so they were not able to be together. Which so, means wouldn't want you yeah to. exactly you know and and they're now i mean who wants their kid with them while they're in jail and susceptible to all kinds of harm and heinous things uh there's a lot of a lot of hype about it <laughs> so where so where if if the single parent that had the criminal record was detained then what happened to the children they were just kept in a, another or Correct. Then they were turned over to uh, HHS, which is Health and Human Services, and then either some family member or the sponsor that they had already set up, you know, or permission or whatever, then they were sent off to them. Now, uh, with that, there is a lot of hype about the 
I, I don't know the exact number, but there are some children who are still in custody or let's say not children, but under the age of 18 who are still in custody, who, you know, we can't find the parents for. Well, they're under the age of 18, but they're you, the vast majority of the kids who are in custody as unaccompanied adult, unaccompanied children. These children are of an age where the place where they come from, they're adults for all intents and purposes. Uh, these are 15 year old kids, 16, 17 year old kids. Um, you know, it's a little shocking to me to see a 15 year old kid on his own because that's my perspective here in the United States. But in these other countries, that is an adult who should be supporting themselves. And they make their, these juveniles are the ones who make the trek on their own. And I've processed a whole bunch of them, you know, done their case file for a whole bunch of them. And they're like, yeah, I, I decided to just come. Who are you living with? Yeah, who are you living with before? Well, I was living with my grandparents in, you know, Nicaragua or wherever. Uh, okay, well, did they know that you were coming? Yeah, of course they did. Okay, well, and it's it's a, Just it's a different, different, different cultural thing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so the children in custody, it's not a, it is concerning because of our viewpoint, you know, under the age of 18, you know, how dare they hold these kids in custody, but in the viewpoint of, you know, these other countries, it's, hey, he's a man, he's, or he's an adult, or she's an adult, they're making their own choice. That definitely softens up the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a different perspective, you know. You think the six-year-old kids just being ripped from their parents? See, yeah, there's there there's always there's always the outlier which is going to, you know, create the most clicks for any headline story. There's always the outlier that's going to, you know, be so. Uh, just hitting every nerve in every person's being drama, the emotion, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so those are, those are the outliers, the separation stuff. It happened. Sure. Did it happen on the scale uh, that people kind of try to purport it to be? Not really. Um, you know, there was definitely, you know, the justification for it, like the question said, well, the justification was the laws on the books, Reno versus Flores. The justification for uh, arresting these people who, quote unquote, legally uh, applied for asylum. Well, getting to that, the asylum process there's kind of a, a way about it. Did the person enter in legally 
or did the person did the person enter in legally or did they uh, just cross the border circumventing any port of entry or anything like that and come in without any permission? Well, that's kind of how most of them do it now. They don't go through the process. How they was, enter in illegally. Say they wanted to assign, apply for asylum. Is, can they do that in Mexico? Or do they have to be here to do that? Do they have to come to the border to do that? They can, they can go to a port of entry. You know, we've got thousands of them on the southern border. They can go to a port of entry and uh, show up and say, all right, I apply for asylum. You know, there's a line to get into the United States, usually on the pedestrian side. Uh, you come up and they say, as they come in, hand them, you know, vast majority of these people have a passport. It's not a, it, it's not a visa to enter the United States. It's just a passport from their country uh, saying who they are. And it's a, it's a document that's identifying who they are. They hand them that and they say, okay, hi, I'm applying for asylum. And then they're brought into the thing and, you know, they're held for a while while, they're, while their case is done. And, and how long does that take at the border? All depends on the flux of people. If there is a massive amount of people applying for asylum at the ports, then it could take a long time. It could take, you know, they could sit there and have to wait for a day or two to get their case processed. Um, it all truly depends, it truly depends on what's going on. But right now, there is literally very few people going about it the right way of going to the port of entry and saying, hey, I'm applying for asylum. Everyone will meet up in, uh, you know, they'll meet up in say, uh, San Luis, Rio Colorado, down in uh, Mexico. It's on the south side of uh, Yuma. And they'll meet up down there and be like, all right, yeah, we're all gonna, we're all gonna cross. They'll pay a few dollars to the cartel member who kind of controls the area. They'll cross over instead of going to uh, the San Luis port of entry or the Andrade port of entry. They'll just huge group of 50, 75, 100, whatever, will just cross over. It's kind of like they feel safer in that big group. And so it's, it's understood. Oh, here's one. Mm -hmm. Ask him if he's a Christian. And if he says yes, which I know you are, remind yes. him that Mary and Joseph were refugees and asylum seekers and fled their homeland to give birth to their son in a place that was safer for them. So what do you... Mm you say to that mr hardcore hard ass yes yes i am such a jerk and uh so oh this gets back to what i what i've said before a little bit you know i do believe there is a time and place for um asking for refugee status there certainly is. Um, Joseph and Mary 
were being persecuted, they were going to be killed. They had a credible fear um, fleeing, uh, fleeing where they were uh, in going into Egypt. Now, with that said, I personally have processed uh, thousands of people. And when I say process, did their casework for thousands of people who, you know, some of them say, you know, they, they claim a fear of returning. And with that, guess what? You claim fear for returning to your country of origin. You get to have an asylum hearing. I have zero, zero authority to stop that from happening. Uh, I can, I can notate things that uh, they say and that they make statements to me. That's about it. You know, I, I've had people come to me and say, oh, you know, one of our questions that we always ask, do you have fear of returning to the country that you were born in or that you're a citizen of? We ask that of every single person. They say, yes. Right. <laughs> That's my security system. Uh, understood. It, it sounds terrifying. Yeah. It's, it's annoying. That's what it is. It's yeah. worth it's yeah. worth terror. Here, I'll I'll show you. Is that your security system? Oh yeah. Useless. Yeah, useless sleeping next to me. But anyways, so every person is asked, do they have fear of returning to their country? And uh they say yes. Okay, we annotate that. They now then get a credible fear hearing. So they will then be put into the system and they will have a credible fear hearing. It, under uh, Trump, they tried to streamline that so that um, Border Patrol agents were cross-designated um, to make that determination. You had to go through certain trainings you had to understand certain laws and stuff like that it wasn't just okay you're a border patrol agent go ahead no it was it was a very stringent process to make sure that this person understood the requirements for a credible fear slash asylum hearing now what what i do now is okay well what do you mean you have fear do you have fear of a certain person? Do you have a fear of the government? Do you believe you will be harmed? You know, we ask them, do you believe you'll be harmed if you return to your country? Um, you know, all these things and you find out and they make these statements. A vast majority of the people I ask, they say, yeah, I have fear. And I go, well, what do you mean? Well, I can't earn any money. All right, that's, I, in my mind, I'm going, okay, can't earn any money. Is that really a fear that is an asylum? Different from Joseph and Mary fearing that their child was going to be killed. That, you know, there was an, a, a genocide happening at that time. Totally different story. The 
people who are coming across that have true fear. Like I said before, I will open my arms to them 100%. Let them come in. Give them that opportunity. We are a country of immigrants, and we are a country who has a lot. So let's support those who have legitimate concerns and, you know, make it so that they can have, you know, that life without a fear of reprisal, have that life without fear of constantly looking over their shoulder that, oh, you know what, Cuba's going to kill me because I pr protested at the building here last week. And so we have no clue. You hear about places like that where you can't do that. And I know we have our problems, but the freedom, at least at this point, to say whatever you want is pretty. It, it's incredible. Like I, I literally got chills watching some of the videos this past week of uh, the people in Cuba congregating and uh, chanting freedom, libertad, libertad, libertad. They were just so excited for it. And they were like wanting to push against the system that's in place there that's holding them back so much. And I've dealt with so many Cubans in my time that that's all they want they want that freedom. They just want it. I mean, growing, growing up, one of my greatest, my, our family friend, she lived behind us. Her, the mother and my mother were great friends. And she would tell me stories of their time in Cuba. She grew up in Cuba and she came across in a boat and how grateful she was for what she had here in the United States. They appreciate it so much knowing what they came from to what they have now. And I say, heck yeah, give these people who appreciate the joy that we have here. Give them that chance. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, you, I hear a lot of people, and it's becoming more and more the narrative that America is this horrible, racist place. But yet I see, you see it daily, the people risking everything to get here to this horrible, racist place. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it amazes me <laughs> that these people, certain people say that it's so inherently awful here, yet Every single person in the, in, in the whole world is trying to come here or trying to pattern their country after ours. It, it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. We're lucky with what we have here. We're very lucky. And yeah, our country, our country started. Uh, it may not have been done with perfect men, but I think they were trying to attain something perfect. That had never been done before, yeah. Yeah, they were trying to do something that was better than even themselves at that time. They yeah. were, that was their goal, to, was to make the United States better than even what they were 
themselves at that time. And we don't appreciate it. I know that for a fact. Um, it's yeah. easy not to when you don't have any comparison, when you have all the freedoms in the world to do whatever you want for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and go wherever and say whatever without fear of, you know, up until now, you get, there's a little bit of fear of, okay, I might be shut down because I say something wrong, but I've got food, shelter, I can freely travel. And, and being shut down, is that, is that a loss of your freedom? Being shut down, is that, your, is that really harming you? No, not at all. Not compared it's to what... As hell. Yeah, you can still function and live and yeah. have life. Yeah. People might be upset at you for saying, you know, saying that the United States is horrible. They might be upset at you, but you could still say it. Yeah. <laughs> you could still say it. Uh, and yet, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad people can sit there and be pissed off at the United States. Great. You know what that shows? Shows we got freedom. Freedom to do shows it. We, shows we've got something good. Yeah, exactly. All right, you want to move on to another one? Do you have a favorite? Sure. Oh, um, you can you can go after one you want, whatever one you want. I, I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I, I I honestly don't know what's uh. Okay, well, I'll find one. Let's do uh, this. What percentage of, of detained illegal aliens are found to be carrying drugs or other contraband, and are illegal aliens checked for prior deportations? And if they've been deported previously. Are they charged criminally for re-entering? You may have answered some of those already, but yeah, we we could still kind of go through it a little bit. Um, so the percentage—I can't give you a good number on percentage, but um, the it happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, facts. Fact check me a lot, but uh, it happens all the time. You know, it kind of amazes me that um, with the legalization of marijuana in so many states, that they're still uh, backpacking a crap ton of weed into the United States. <laughs> it's, it is amazing. Uh, now, also, they're not just doing backpacking of weed, they're doing they're doing meth, uh, they're doing fentanyl. Uh, and a lot of times the higher dollar, um, the higher dollar drugs, heroin, fentanyl, coke, um, they'll be put into vehicles. And, or, or they'll be backpacked across a short distance, a very short distance, to a safe house here in the United States. And then at that safe house at the United States, they'll be packaged into a vehicle and uh, hidden throughout wherever they could in that vehicle. You know, there's a million different ways that I've found drugs inside um, in vehicles. It's crazy. <laughs> um, Creative, I bet. They've gotten extremely creative. Um, you know, some of the simpler ones, you know, hiding it inside the stuffing of the seat, uh, putting it in firewalls. Every, every panel could be covered with it. 
you know, just wherever there is a void inside that vehicle, they'll put it in, putting it inside um, a crankcase uh, of the engine, putting it um, where the exhaust manifold, radiator, you name it, they do it. But they do, a lot of times those high dollars are put inside vehicles, whether it be a straight through the port of entry driven across the border or a quick backpack because they don't want, they don't want a chance of it being caught. So if they're going to backpack it, they'll do it very short time on foot. The longer they're on foot, the easy, the more chance they're going to get caught. But weed, you know, uh, it's amazing. I see a ton of weed being brought across through the deserts of Arizona, um, where, you know, you'll get on camera and you'll look and you'll see a very distinct, large rectangle on a guy's back <laughs> and he's hiking along and uh, most of those guys you know they have a couple of guys who are armed you know so it's very interesting uh, now the percentage of people being armed not very high uh, most of them most armed encounters are usually with narcotics and those are uh, much less compared to the people themselves. Most of the people, they're just, they're just trying to get across and they're usually a little desperate. They'll maybe try to fight you a little bit or run hard. And as soon as you start getting close, they'll try to take one swing at you or whatever. Quick break. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And we're back what your thoughts are regarding imperialism and the U.S.'s presence meddling in foreign affairs in Latin America. Do we, have any, do we have any right to turn asylum seekers away from our borders when it's our government's actions that have destabilized their home countries, giving them no other option but to flee, no other options save joining a gang, becoming a prostitute, watching your children or parents be slaughtered by the cartels or other gang violence that the U.S. has aided in creating? Is he accurate with that assumption? Oh, well, that's getting into some geopolitical stuff that <laughs> that's getting into geopolitical stuff that I really try to steer away from, to be honest. Uh, yeah, the, so imperialism, you know, that's a buzzword and it makes me wonder. I, yeah. <laughs> sure if if it makes him feel great that he wants to say imperialism uh that the u.s is meddling so much so in every other country yeah. our fault um, people want to leave mexico is what he's saying is that it? as far as you know uh no uh, so let, let's let's use mexico i'm i'm not as uh, knowledgeable about uh, the other southern South American countries. Uh, yes, we were. We've done some destabilizations uh, maneuvers down 
in some Central American countries. But generally speaking, um, I would say a large problem that there is is that they don't have the strength of government, meaning the constitution, the foundation that we have here in the United States. It's a constitution that's our government is set up with checks and balances. It has a foundation of the constitution that everything can then blossom off of. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things in other countries where human nature just kind of steps in and corruption takes place. It sucks. Are we to blame for it? I can't make a yes or no on that. Now with that, uh, we don't stop people fleeing horrid situations. We don't uh, say no to people requesting asylum. We say, okay, you're requesting asylum. Well, you're going to have a hearing about it. And this other asylum officer will then do an investigation whether your claim is valid or not. And if they have a valid claim, great. They're in the, they're paroled into the United States. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've dealt with people claiming every single one of these things that he said, you know, uh, and it's usually a hard, hard situation. That's, it's not awesome for us on this end to sit there and look at, you know, a mom crying because her kid was killed two years ago, slaughtered right on their doorstep almost. Uh, it's, it's not cool. And you know what? Great. Give her a chance. Give that mom a chance to be here. That's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, I, I, I've seen... I've seen pretty much every example of that presented before me. It's, it's harsh. <laughs> it's harsh, but it's okay. Uh, you know, we, we can't stop every horror in the world. And I think uh, the imperialism claim is the U.S. trying to fix those wrongs. I, I try to look at it from a glass half full. Yeah, we may have meddled in other countries, but I think it's us trying to fix those wrongs that are going on. And just not being successful. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times that gets down to bureaucratic stuff where, you know, I've seen the government in play. It sucks. It's impossible. You have like, let's pare it down even to a smaller thing that I get involved with. Bureaucratics, just crap, gets meddled with everything. I've set up ops where we want to do one certain thing. 
we want this is our mission right here in front of us i i look at it and i go this is super easy to attain we can do this 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 and this and that op will be complete and successful i uh, write it up i feed it up the chain oh great here we go revisions then this person has to stick their thumb into it this person has to stick their thumb into it you know and there's about now 30 different people who have uh, put their fingerprints all over it and the mission almost gets changed completely and you know here's our mission we were and it's now once it's the ball's rolling all right now we got to do this because now it's just a waste of effort if we just say you know let's screw you we're done uh you still try to get that mission completed but you now have to adhere to all these other things i see that and i've i've worked with a bunch of special forces guys who say laugh at me when i put an op up and it comes back to me and i yell at my special forces guys going look at this do you see this and they go oh you have no idea this is exactly how their ops go you know when they're dealing uh, out of country and doing certain things bureaucratics get so messed into it so yeah it's all fun and games it's like it's like it, we're like we're in elementary school again and fighting amongst each other and not figuring anything out but um, or, or, or even getting into the game telephone, you know, where yeah. one person says one thing and then it goes down the line. Eventually it gets so jumbled up that, yeah, well, it's it kind of, I guess, what, what the mission was supposed to be. Yeah, well, that's, I don't know what the solution is there. How about just let people do their jobs? I don't know. So I, I see one question that says uh what if any difference in morale have you observed between your colleagues and myself um, since previous presidential administration um flat out our morale sucks <laughs> our our morale sucks um you know there's uh there's some things that are going on that are very very difficult and we're not being allowed to do our job uh you know there was there was a thing instituted by trump that might go away soon which is going to cause an even larger crisis it's called title 42 and what that does is people from mexico well the northern triangle let's just call it guatemala honduras and stuff like that all those countries right there in the northern triangle um, they're processed for what's called the title 42 and that is where we arrest them and immediately remove them back to mexico doesn't matter if they're from guatemala we can remove them right back to Mexico. Now, if um, we get rid of this, which uh, the Biden administration have said they are going to, um, 
we're going to have a massive backlog and our facilities are going to be completely overrun. And I've already dealt with facilities where it's standing room only. Uh, it's, it gets bad. So these little change in policies are making our life a little more difficult. Yeah, there, every time there's a policy, there's a human on the other end of it that we don't see. Yeah. There's another follow-up question on that one. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you and your fellow officers bear some responsibility for migrants of all agents who suffered harsh conditions, denial of medical treatment, violence, and sexual assault, sometimes of children during the previous administration? Was there anyone who, knew, who you knew that left Border Patrol rather than follow up? follow the previous administration policies. Okay. Uh, and the rules. Okay, so to answer about, uh, I, I have not known anyone who wouldn't, who left the patrol because of, they wouldn't follow uh, the last administration's uh, policies. Um, now, do we bear or feel like we should bear any responsibility who suffered under harsh uh, conditions? No, not at all. Um, I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that any of my fellow colleagues, at least as far as I know, feel that we should bear any of that. Um, there's things on the radio in these foreign countries that are saying, hey, go to you. There's literally advertisements on the radios. Uh, go to the United States. <laughs> go seek asylum. Look for better and contact this person for a job. You know, it, how can someone who is just literally enforcing the laws and what they're mandated to enforce, how could we be responsible for, you know, these people who have decided to come in mass, you know, and overwhelm our system. Um, in the previous administration, I, I uh, was, detailed down south to help out with uh, the influx with, you know, all the caravans that came about. Um, and uh, it was, it was crazy. It, it was really crazy down how we were not prepared. And all of a sudden, well, we were, we were trying to be prepared. We were ramping up fairly quickly, actually a lot quicker than we are right now. But we built up facilities as well as we could. And all of a sudden, it's literally people just standing up waiting to be processed in a room. In a room that's supposed to fit, you know, 150, we've got 300 people waiting for process. And we have to we have to sit there and process each one. We have to take their fingerprints, photo, do a full file on them. And then, you know, whether they're claiming asylum or just remove them, 
one way or the other. We have to do some kind of casework. We can't just sit there and, you know, take their ID and assume that's who they are, sign a paper and say, okay, see you next time. Uh, you know, have a good day. <laughs> you got to do something. When we're being overwhelmed with these massive amounts of numbers, and it wasn't that the entire border was being overwhelmed. It was locations were being overwhelmed. And so we would then take a few people and try to alleviate some of the pressure by shipping them off to other locations and then have them processed there. The harsh treatment that they were given, to be perfectly honest, in my 20 years that I've been in, I've seen harsh treatment of um, the illegal aliens twice. Two times I've seen harsh treatment from one agent to an illegal alien. And I punched a fellow agent. I laid him out. Um, yeah, that doesn't happen. There's often a question, if, if what do you guys do about the bad ones? Well, you just, you just, uh, you just answered oh. that. Yeah, well, I, I, I laid out I laid out one agent, I laid him out. The other, uh, I wasn't close enough. And, uh, you know, both these agents are no longer agents. <laughs> so well, you, do you do police each other because I know there's a common misconception that cops just turn the other eye or turn, turn, turn away when their fellow agents are doing. You can't. Things. Yeah, you, you, you can't turn turn the eye, uh, you know, people say, oh, you guys hide behind the thin blue line. <sighs> Not really. In today's age, there is no hiding anything. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, now, all right, uh, on to the uh, denial of medical treatment. Yes. I've never, never seen any denial of medical treatment ever. I actually, I know every single time that a uh, alien in custody asks for any medical treatment, uh, says, I want to see a doctor. Well, we literally put them in a vehicle and take them to a hospital. They, if anyone ever asks at all, I want to see a doctor, we take them immediately. Some, some facilities do have uh, medical personnel on site, so they're able to do a quick triage slash um, assessment. And, you know, usually I would say 95% uh, of the time, they'll say, okay, take them to the hospital yeah. for further verification because they don't want it on their shoulders. Um, so yeah, there's almost never, ever, I've honestly, I've never seen, um, denial of medical treatment. Um, there was a few incidents a few years ago where, um, people have perished in custody. Uh, and that is horribly unfortunate. And I hate seeing that, but you know, with the thousands of people that are being 
put in custody and we do we do check our people that we have in custody on a regular basis we have a schedule where people are in charge of walking around checking those detained they've never died in the facility they've we sit there and say okay oh you're sick okay let's get you some medical attention we bring them to the hospital and unfortunately they die in the hospital but all these people have died because they were extremely sick and the travel that they did beat them down so horribly that it caused them to be that much sicker and as we bring them into custody we check them out and we're like okay you know we'll do a quick little tally sheet as we're first arresting them okay this person's complaining about this bring them into the station a couple hours later as they're bring intake as they're being intaked you know a quick little process of securing them making them safe to be in custody we do another notation and they see medical assessment and then boom they're off to the hospital got it um and sexual assault of children uh the clarification of that that is by people who all the incidents of those that have been reported and that I know of were under the facility of HHS, Human and Health Services, and not by HHS personnel, but by contractors who were there acting as security. And me personally, I have zero idea what exactly goes on in those facilities. I do. I have been to them on a rare occasion to transport and stuff like that. And that's just an incident where it's just a horrible thing that has happened. And, you know, how can you hold an outlier, you know, something that happens as an outlier against the mass? This is easier and sexier, that's how. Yeah, exactly. It's a good click. In all your 20 years, what's been the most like poignant moment, good, bad, either way? To be honest, that, that's hard. Um, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of hard times. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, uh, had a lot of heartbreaking times where uh, it, it's just horrible. Uh, but at the same time, uh, some beautiful things. You know, I hearken back to when I was when I was first in uh, the Border Patrol, and one of the things that we would do is at checkpoints we would check all buses and. Uh, this is always stuck with me is we would when we get on the bus as they would come up to the checkpoint we would give a spiel you know good afternoon u.s border patrol we're here to do an immigration inspection please if you have any documentation have it ready for us to to view 
and we would then go along in the back. And I remember uh, getting on the bus, I made the announcement and I start walking back in this sweet, sweet, sweet abuela, this old grandmother was sitting there standing. She sat, as soon as I got on the bus, she sat up as proud as she could, super, super tall in her chair, smiling at me, just beaming. And I'm like, I'm going on going, what is wrong with this chick? <laughs> and so I go in the back, I start from the back and start working my way forward. And, uh, and I see her and I, I know that she's Hispanic and I start speaking to her in Spanish. How are you today? Uh, do you mind, and uh, do you mind telling me your citizenship? And uh, she goes, you know, she says in Spanish, sir, thank you very much for asking me and pulls from her giant purse, a framed copy of her naturalization certificate that she's a US citizen. She carried her framed certificate with her at all times. <laughs> and I'm like, that right there, that's awesome. That's someone who loves the fact that she became a United States citizen. She did it right. She, and, you know, it kind of, it, it, it was an extreme point of view versus, uh, seeing the people who are kind of hiding and slinking in the shadows because they're not here legally. You know, why, why not have these people try and obtain what this woman fought so hard to do and is so super proud of what she did? You know, uh, that, that sticks with me a lot. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll focus more on that than on the dark system on the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole new meaning to the phrase, show me your papers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. You know. Well, and, that, and I wish so many of us could be exposed to people who have come here because we do not, I don't appreciate it. I'm sure I don't. I mean, I, I've traveled to Mexico we have a little timeshare down in Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. I don't know if that counts, but we go there and see how people live. And it's when my kids are pissing and moaning about their internet not being fast enough. I just say, shut up. Do you remember what you just saw? Yeah. How lucky you are. It's easy, it's easy just to dismiss that and not appreciate it because we don't have the perspective. It's, it's so amazing. You know, like I, I, I've had several people that I know and that I've dealt with in my job also. And there is, so being a United States citizen is such an incredible privilege. Being in this incredible country is such a privilege. And, you know, I, I do not mind uh the job i do at all because i try to view it as me trying to make sure that the right people get in that the wrong people stay out that i protect 
my family, my friends, my country by stopping people who may do harm. That, that's, that's one of my goals. Uh, when I don the uniform, when I put on the belt and the vest and I get out and go do my job, I try to make sure that I'm doing better for my family and my country. And thank you so much for for your perspective. It's I think it's a huge eye-opener. I learned a lot of things I had no idea of. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing yeah. your, your story. It's been pretty amazing. One, one other thing, if you have any listeners that are um, in rural kind of borderish town areas, um, you know, if they're on the border, just know, uh, don't be afraid. They're probably going to be your first responder. They're going to be uh, the first ones on scene. Because uh, we're all over. Oh, oh yeah. Border Patrol. Okay. Yeah, Border Patrol will be the first ones on scene of an accident uh, if it's anywhere near the border. Border Patrol will be the first ones to respond to uh, all kinds of problems that are happening in these rural areas. And uh, most law enforcement rely on us to help them out. And, uh, you know, just, you know, if you ever see a green and white driving around or anything like that, just give them a wave. We appreciate it. Uh, it's kind of nice to have guys appreciate who we are because we do get a lot of a lot of crap from the public the media and there's a lot of a lot of down uh, downside to it but there's also some beautiful sites and you'll accept amazon gift cards too i'm sure oh sure why not yeah, <laughs> yeah i've i've accepted sodas uh, a free soda as i'm working so when, you know i'm going to buy it and guy turns around hey i want to buy a soda uh, I try to try to pawn it. I try to tell him no, and but eventually I will accept. It's yeah. it's nice to be appreciated. Yeah, especially because it's you you're in a line of work that's not appreciated. You know, because yeah, and misunderstanding, which yeah. Right. All right, man. Uh, Love you, Brian. Been good having you. Thank you, bud. I appreciate talking to you. Anytime, man. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Parish to Thought Show.